Yeah, so it's good to see everybody. Uh, we're, we're in the midst of my um, my uh, sermon series on the book of Hebrews, where today we're going to be going through Hebrews 6, um, kind of going through Hebrews 6, but we're also going to go a lot of different places in the Bible. So if you guys have your Bibles with you, have it ready, because we're going to read a lot today. Um, but we're currently on Hebrews 6, and today we're going to read from verse 13 to 20 of Hebrews 6. Last week I preached on spiritual maturity, and uh, you know the author of Hebrew gives the audience that he's talking to this wake-up call. He's like, you know, he's like, you guys got to wake up. You know, you guys have to like, you know, you know, you guys are drinking milk. You guys like, you guys are in this level. You guys should be leaders by now, but you guys are still sustaining yourselves on the basic principles of God. You need to go deeper with God, and um, and he gives his warning. He gives the 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 audience his warning and this this exhortation, but this encouragement as well. He's like, come on, you guys are better than this. That's what he's kind of saying. And, he, and he's like, I know you guys can go deeper with God. And so um, that that passage that I preached on last week, it ends with verse 12. It says, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Um, he's talking about the promises of God. So he's saying, don't just remain in this superficial level with God. Don't just be those people that like just know God on this level. Like, oh yeah, he's my ticket to heaven. This is my ticket to heaven, and uh, you know that's all that he is really in my life. A lot of people live this way; they just think of Jesus as this thing that is supposed to get them to heaven, but it, he, Jesus, has no effect on their lives. It doesn't change the way they they deal with people. It doesn't change the way that their integrity, their honesty, anything like that. It's just this thing that they know about Jesus Christ being and the Holy Spirit bringing their access to get into heaven, but but they're not living the life that God commands them to live, and and he's saying that. Um, so, don't remain in the superficial surface level in your relationship with God, but go deeper with Him in relationship and, and obedience, and become people that will inherit the promises. And today we're going to talk about the promises of God. And we're going to talk about what the promises of God look like, and we're going to talk about how it kind of applies to us as believers on this side of the cross. And so today we're going to uh, look at um, this thing about God's promises and His faithfulness, and, and about the covenant that he has with his people. So let's read verse 13, chapter 6, verse 13. I'll read it for you guys. For when God made promise, made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. God made an oath. Right? So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, um, the writer, you know, says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. He swore on himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. Now, 
We know that the writer of Hebrews is writing to Jewish people, um, Jewish Christians, because there are so many assumptions that the writer has about the reader knowing the history of the Jewish people. Especially, uh, there's this expectation for the readers to know the Old Testament, right? So he's not writing to Greeks. He's not writing to like, you know, the Gentiles. He's writing specifically to the Hebrews, to Jewish Christians that are, that are, you know, they're, that are on the verge of, you know, maybe going back to Judaism. And we can't fully understand what the author is trying to get at here in chapter 6 without knowing, and we can't really understand like most of Hebrews without really understanding um, parts of the Old Testament. And this part in chapter 6, we can't really understand it unless we know and we learn about the history of Abraham, the history of the relationship between Abraham and God, uh, and the promises that were made by God to Abraham and to his people, because those are the promises that extend to us on this side of the cross, right? We are, you know, we are children of Abraham. We, we inherit the promises of Abraham. And so when we read verse 13 of Hebrews 6, it says that since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. The author is talking about Genesis 15 here, right? And we have to really understand Genesis 15 with this passage in Hebrews to really have the impact and teach us what it's trying to tell us. So, if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to go to Genesis 15 too. But right now, um, in, in Abraham, you know, we, we all kind of know the story of Abraham, right? Um, you know, before he became Abraham, his name's Abram, and he's like, you know, he's 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 chilling in his homeland where his father's been living there for a long time. You know, he's a fairly wealthy person. He has a lot of servants, and he has a lot of you know animals and, and livestock. And then the God of the universe all of a sudden speaks to Abraham or Abram at the time, and he's like, you know, go. I want you to go. Now go, and 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 it says, um, it says, uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's ho- household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. Right? He makes this promise with Abraham, and so Abraham, being a man of faith, he just goes. Right? If I was Abraham, I would be like. Where am I going? That would be the first thing that I ask God. I, before, when God tells me to go, I like, where am I going? How long is it going to take? And will I have enough money and food for me to get there? Right? But Abraham, being this this amazing man of faith, he just takes off. He picks up everything and he just goes. Um, and 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 he lands. He gets to the land of Canaan, uh, and that's Genesis 12. And then Abraham has this detour through Egypt. You know, you guys know about him going to Egypt and. You know, the Pharaoh's like, oh, your, your, your wife looks pretty cute. And then he's like, oh, that's not my wife, that's my sister, right? And then all this stuff. And then, and then, uh, his nephew Lot gets into trouble in Sodom and he has to bail him out. And then, um, he has this encounter with the king of Salem called Melchizedek. And I know when we read through Hebrews, this person comes up a lot, Melchizedek. And I know a lot of you guys don't really know much about him. I don't really know much about him. He's this mysterious figure in the Bible. Uh, and we're going to talk about him because chapter seven of Hebrews is all about Melchizedek, right? He's the he's the you know the priest of the the great you know, priest of God, and um, you know he's compared to Jesus. And so we, that's probably going to be uh, my next sermon. But um, he has his meeting with him, he, King of Salem. He gives him a tenth, he gives him a tithe of, of everything he has, and he has his interaction with Melchizedek. And then in chapter fifteen, we have this covenant, this promise that God makes with Abraham. Now, you know, God, as God makes this, this covenant with Abraham, 
in, in this chapter, uh, we have to understand just like like the, the, the we kind of have to set the scene, right? And so Genesis 15, after uh, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, okay, it says Abram because God hasn't changed his name yet. Um, it says, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I am childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He's like 70 right now. right? He's in his 70s. Um, and he took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him, and he credited to him as righteousness. Right? And so God takes him out into this clearing. He says, Look up at the stars. And I don't know if you guys ever been to like, like a, a country that doesn't have a lot of like, that's not in a city. Um, we, the closest thing that I've seen is when we went to, uh, Philippines on missions and we had to like drive, I think four hours into this mountainous area and then we had to walk another hour and a half into the mountains and we got to this tribe where they still like, like live like tribe people. They live in like, you know, um, you know, like these like wooden buildings and, and they still wear the, the traditional tribal clothes and, and it, it was pretty crazy. And that night we looked up at the sky and we saw, we've never seen st- that many stars, right? It was, this is amazing. But imagine back then, where there is no pollution, there is no ambient light anywhere, and you look up at the sun, and you just see like, it's like space, it's like looking into space, right? This is like, just millions of stars, and God is like, you're, this, you know, your offspring, your children, um, the, the people that come from you, um, it's gonna, it's gonna be like the stars in the sky. And so God makes this covenant with Abraham, and today, we don't really, like, like understand the word covenant, right? We don't use it every day. We don't, it's not a word that we use very often. Um, we make promises and we make contracts. Um, and we really don't know covenants. But the thing is, God is all about covenant, right? God is a God of covenant, right? We, if we're, if we're going to understand the promises of God, Hebrews 6 talks about, you know, let us be the people that inherit the promises of God. We have to understand the thing of covenant, because God deals with covenant. He makes his covenant with God. God's promises are all covenantal. You guys understand that all of his promises that he has is all covenantal. God is all about covenant, because God is all about relationship. Right? And the main difference between a co- covenant and a contract is that a covenant is all about relationship. Right? You, have, you have a housing contract. You guys, are, Most of you guys you know, are, are renting your houses, and you guys have a housing contract, right? And there are promises and there are regulate, like stipulations that are in the contract, but it's not a, a relational agreement, right? You don't like invite them over to dinner every time you pay your rent, right? It's like, it's like, it's just like you agree to give me a place to live and I agree to give you money and that's it, right? They're, they're, that's, that's a, as far as the relationship goes, right? But, but God is all about relationship. And when God makes a promise to his people, he does it in a way, it's not like this thing where it's a contract, where it's like, hey, you do this and I do this and that's it. It's like, hey, we're entering into this relationship where we're both making promises to each other and it's the relationship that is more important than the outcome of this this agreement that we have. And his promises are all relational. And Deuteronomy 29, right, 
you know, this is Deuteronomy is, is the last sermon that you know Moses gives to his people as they're about to enter into the promised land. And Moses, it's like his, the sermon. They're in the plains of Moab, and and he's he's telling his people like, hey, these are the things that you guys have to remember, right? Because I'm not going to go into the land with you, right? You know, I'm about to die. You guys are going to go in, and he, this is this is this is what Moses tells his people, and he says, so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God which the Lord your God is making with you today, that he may establish you today as his people, and that he may be your God as he promised you. And like when we read this, we see all of these like personal pronouns, right? It's like his people, your God, our God, right? And, and, and we use these pronouns when we're talking about intimate relationships. Right? Like when we talk about our, our family, like Mina is my wife, right? I am her husband. Now my kids, they're, they're my kids. Like we, it's our family, right? And this is kind of the language that is used when God talks about covenant. And, and it's these per, per, uh, personal possessive pronouns that kind of is, is pointing to the relationship aspect of His covenant. But we also see here the language of law, right? so that you may enter into the sworn covenant of the Lord your God. Uh, verse fourteen. It, it is not with you alone that I am making this sworn covenant. And so there's this, when, with the covenants of God, there's this relational aspect with covenant, but there's also this language of law, right? And agreement and, and conditions. And that's really what makes the covenant so special and so much more important than just a promise and just a, just a contract. It's relationship. It's a relationship more loving and intimate than that of a mere like legal contract, and yet it's more binding and accountable and enduring than just a merely personal relationship. Right? Like if I tell Melvin, "Hey, I promise you, right? I'll go help you move, right?" And I, like he calls me, he's like, "Hey, where are you?" And I'm like, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> like something came up, right? Right? That's just, just like a like a like a relational thing, right? There is no like you know, there is no covenant there, right?" But then between the covenant, and the greatest example of this is, is marriage. I have a covenant with Mina and, and like there's this agreement. It's like, hey, like, like I will not, you know, like sleep around with other women, right? It's a covenant that I made. It's a promise. And it's like, like, like it, it, it's, it's so much more, so much deep, so much, so much meaningful than just a personal agreement. And it's so much more meaningful than just the contract. It's a personal relationship that becomes more loving and intimate because it's legal. You voluntarily enter into it. It's mutual. It's binding, and you're you're promising to be faithful and committed to each other. And these are the basis of God's promises. He doesn't just say, "Hey, I'm gonna promise you to do this. If you if you do this, and I'll do this." That's not the way that he. But the perfect example of this is marriage, right? You enter into a covenant. You know, Tiffany and Josh got married like a couple months ago, like three four months ago, right? They entered into this. This covenant, you know, it's a, to love and to be faithful no matter, no matter what, right? No matter what happens, the relationship between parent and child is similar, right? It's like, I, I, we give birth to a child, we, we make this agreement, this, this covenant that I'm gonna take care of this child, right? And then this child is gonna, gonna be my, you know, I'm gonna be his parents and they're gonna be my children. It's a mutual relationship, it's a covenant. It's, it's both sides are saying, I will sacrifice for you, I will, you know, I'm willing to give up, all, like, in my independence, I'm willing to give up my time, my effort, my energy, my, give you my everything, and, and, and there's a re- expectation for that to come, come back to me. 
It's not like a consumer relationship where it's like, hey, I'm going to do this and you do that, but if you stop doing this, I'm out, right? That's how like the world talks about relationships, right? Like we go into a work con- contract and it's like, hey, I'm going to work for you and you're going to pay me. And if you stop paying me, I'm going to stop working for you, right? That's just the way it is. It's a stipulation. But a covenant that God makes with his people is so much deeper and so much more important than that. True covenant relationships are the ones that are the most profound and life-altering and life-changing relationships that we have. It brings us, in, it brings us the most joy. It brings us the most intimacy. And it's the most satisfying, right? And as you guys, as you guys get married and as you guys have kids, you, we start to realize this is that, that like, hey, the covenant, because we're bound by this covenant, the relationship that we have is so much more meaningful. Now, if the most profound and joyful and life-changing relationships, the deepest relationships that we have are covenantal relationship, our relationship with God has to be one that's of covenant. Right? It has to be a covenant relationship. And we see that all throughout the Bible, God deals with His people through this covenant. Right? Adam. God made a covenant with Adam. God makes a covenant with Noah. God makes a covenant with Abraham. God makes one with Moses and, and Jacob and David, right? These are all covenantal relationships. God says, I am all in on you, right? Moses, I'm all in on you, right? I, 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 you know, like, you know, like, I'm all in, right? We're gonna, we'll ride till the wheels fall off, but you also have to be all in on me. You have to obey me. You have to lead, you know, like, David, I, I'm, I'm, I'm committed to you, David. I, you know, like, I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna look for another king. You're, you're my king. But then you also have to, 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 to live and follow me and, and worship me and you have to love me and cherish me because I love you and cherish you. And this is mutual covenantal relationship that God has with his people. Like you will flourish. Like you will accomplish what I have set for you to accomplish. And there will be a relationship between us. And God deals with people in covenants like this. Now when we take a deeper look into the covenants of God, there is this Paradox and this mystery. There's there's this there's this paradox. You guys know what a paradox is? It's like it like it's both things. It doesn't make sense, right? It's a mystery. And all covenants have terms and conditions because all covenants have terms all contracts have terms and conditions. All covenants covenants are greater than contracts, but not less. In essence that, that a covenant will have terms and conditions just like a contract or a promise would have. And, and, and if you, if you live up to those, you know, stipulations and those conditions, then you get the blessings of God that God promises. And if you fail to live up to those expectations, right, you get the penalties, or in the Bible, they're the curses that God places on His people. In Deuteronomy 29 verse 9, it says, Therefore, keep the words of this covenant and do them, that you may prosper in all that you do, this talks about the reward of the covenant, right? If you keep my words, if you listen to me, if you obey me, then you will flourish and you will prosper in all that you do. This is the blessings of God that comes with fulfilling the covenant. And then just a few verses later, it says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman or a clan or a tribe whose heart is turning away from, away today from the Lord our God to go and serve other the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root-bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the word of, of his sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. 
This will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and dry light. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in the book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Now those, that's the curse, right? That, that's the, if you don't live up to this, this is what's going to happen to you. Talks about the curses, the penalty when violating the, the, the covenant of God. And these are the conditions that are in the covenantal relationship with God. That's what makes a contract or a covenant valuable is the penalties and the, and the stipulations. It's what keeps us honest. It's what keeps us, you know, committed to the, to promises that we make. And, and it says, the Lord will not be willing to forgive you, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. Right? And, and, it, like, like when we hear this, like, never forgive, right? Or all the curses and all of these things that are, that are part of these covenants, you know, we think like, oh, I thought God was a forgiving God, right? Isn't God supposed to be a forgiving God? Isn't he, doesn't he love me, right? But if, if God is a covenant God, what good is the covenant if he just ignores the penalties, right? You know, sweeps it under the rug. And this is the paradox, right? The mystery at the center of the Bible and understanding this will help us to understand the heart of the message of the whole Bible. Because when we read the Bible in the Old Testament, we see hundreds of statements like this. I can't forgive a rebellious people, right? No, I can't bless the disobedient people. I, you must be obedient, right? Obey the word of the Lord. I am a righteous and just judge. These are, all throughout the Old Testament, we see, we read this in almost every book of the Bible. I can't sweep guilt under the rug. I am holy, right? I am holy, so you must be holy. These are all of the, the things that the Bible says. I can't, I can't just, you know, sweep sin and, and unrighteousness under the rug. Hundreds of statements like this are in the Old Testament. But there are also hundreds of statements that says, I will always love you. Right? We, we sang about it, we did it in the, in the call to worship to the steadfast love endures forever. Right? I will always accept you. I will never give up on you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I will never forsake you. There are times in the Bible that says, I will only bless you if you do this. And other times, I'm going to bless you no matter what. Right? Who, who read the Bible and re- realized that a lot of the Bible is like this? Right? And this is the irreconcilable tension, right? And this is the mystery and the paradox, and it's also the underlying plot line of, of all the plot lines in the Bible. God and his people will make a covenant, and then the people will fail constantly, every time, and then we come to question God. It says, will God give in to his people? Will God just like forgive his people? Which goes against his holiness, or will God give up on his people, which goes against his faithfulness? What will God do? And the Bible never answers this question outright. Because there's times where it says, I, w- I can't forgive you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna smite thee. I'm gonna, you know, like, you, like, you know, I'm gonna forsake you forever. And then other times in the Bible, it's like, I will never forsake you. you know, like, his steadfast love endures forever. Is, is he all about his holiness or is he all about his faithfulness? This is that paradox. This is that mystery. Are the promises and the blessings of God conditional 
or are they unconditional? And this is a question. Right? Are the promises that the Hebrew writer of Hebrews is talking about, are they conditional or are they unconditional? And over and over again, the Bible seems to give contradictory answers. And this causes many of us and many Christians to fall on one side, one of two sides, right? Instead of truly finding this, the biblical balance and the way that God truly wants their people to be. Most people will either fall on one or the other. Or they'll either fall on the liberal way or the very conservative way, right? The, the, the following the liberal way where they say, yeah, like, yeah, you have to obey. You have to follow God's commandment. But in the end, God will love everybody and accept everybody. That's the liberal way, right? It's like, hey, you know, there's grace. Grace, you know? Or you can come down on the conservative side. Say, yes, God is loving. Yes, God is faithful. But in the end, you have to obey or He won't love you and He won't accept you. It's kind of like the conservative side, right? So everybody, because they don't know how to resolve this tension, this, this mystery, this paradox that's found in the Bible about the promises of God, right, we fall into one of these camps. They, they, they slide into relativism, relativism where it's talking about, hey, everything's good, there's grace, everything's relative. Right? You, may, you may sin, you may do this, you may live this life, but in the end, God's grace is there. Or you live under this constant like guilt and and just condemnation is like oh I cannot never live up to the, the to the holiness of God and I have to always be in this place of just like feeling this this constant guilt and constant condemnation right? I've been on both sides of this right? there's times where I'm like on the both sides in the same day right I'll be like oh that's grace and I'll be like oh I suck you know like we always kind of live like this right but the Bible doesn't resolve this tension and through the Old Testament, all through the Scripture, this mystery and this paradox remains. Right? Judges 2, 1, it says, I said I will never break my covenant with you. And then two verses later, it says, I will not bless you if you disobey me. God sounds bipolar. Right? How do you resolve this? Right? How do we resolve this about God's promises? And the answer can be found in Genesis 15. We read part of it earlier. God takes Abraham out. And he's like, hey, God's, Abraham's like questioning God. He's like, hey, God, I don't, I don't have any kids. Oh, sorry. I gotta shut this off because Siri's constantly listening to me. Um, so, so God's like, you know, like, he's like, God, you didn't give me any children. I'm, 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 I'm childless. You know, my inheritance is gonna go to this man. You know, like, he's my servant. Like, like, what, what am I gonna, how am I gonna become this, this, this nation, how will I bless? You know, how will, how will my descendants? And he, he takes them out to the field. He's like, look at the scar. Look at the billions of stars that are out there. And, and, and your descendants are going to be like these stars. They will be like numbered like these stars. He says, so shall your offspring be. And then Abraham goes up to God and says, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he's asking God. He's, Abraham's being like me, right? I'm, I'm the pragmatist, right? I'm like God. How do I know, right? Like I want to know. <laughs> like, like, what do you mean faith? I just want to answer from you, God, right now, right? But how do I know that I will possess it? And then he said to him, "Bring me a heifer, three years old; a female goat, three years old; a ram, three years old; a turtle dove, and a young pigeon." And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. 
but he did, not, he did not cut the birds in half. And when birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And the sun was going down, and a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generations, for the iniquity of Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the, the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kezinezites, the Camonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gersh, uh, that G word ite, and the Jebusites, right? And so there's this, I, I hate saying all these ites, right? So here God's telling Abraham that he's like, I'm going to bless you. And then Abraham asks God, how will I know? How, 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 you know, like, I want to know how you're going to do this. And so God has Abraham bring all these animals. Um, and then this seems very odd to us today, but to Abraham, it made per- perfect sense, right? Because back then, when a, when a lord or a master wanted to make a covenant with a servant or somebody that's like below him, right, with like a slave, he would have them get animals and cut them into pieces and lay them out. And the servant making the covenant would walk through the aisles of the parks, right, and, and declare the covenant. This is something that they did back then. And it was a symbolic gesture of what would happen to him if he failed to live up to the covenant. He was acting out the curse of the covenant. He's like, if I don't keep my promise of this covenant, right, may I be cut into pieces like this? May I be torn into pieces like this? May I be destroyed like this? So Abraham figured he was arranging this scene for a covenant ceremony. So he cuts the pieces up and he's waiting for God to tell him to walk through and make this oath. Where, where Abraham makes an oath to God that God, I will live up to you I will, I will live according to your word I will follow you, you know, and, 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 and I will you know, I will do as you command and if I'm not I will, may I be cut into pieces Abraham is thinking that this is what God wants him to do and then it says that the darkness came down and God appears to him as a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch and passes between these pieces. And God makes this covenant with Abraham to bless him. Now Abraham is shocked because, because the Lord's never did this. They never walked between the pieces. But it's God that is walking between the pieces. Because what that means is that not only will I bless you, he's promising to die if he doesn't bless him. He's promising to be torn into pieces. If God doesn't bless Abraham, right, it's God that will be torn into pieces. God's making this covenant. It's, he thought, it's like, Abraham's gonna walk through the pieces, but he's like, he, God walks through the pieces. But that's not all. Here's the part that's really shocking. It's that God never called Abraham to walk through the pieces. The ceremony ended in chapter 15. Therefore, God made a covenant with Abraham. But this was unheard of, right? 
Right? He, God didn't have Abraham walk through the pieces. It was amazing for the Lord to walk through the pieces, but the first, for the servant to not walk through the pieces and make this covenant, to make this oath was unheard of. God was making the promise for both of them. And he was taking the curse of the covenant for the both of them. What this meant was not only will I be torn in pieces if you, if I don't keep my promises, but I will be torn into pieces even if you don't, even if you don't keep your promises. You guys hear that? He's saying, I will be torn into pieces if I don't bless you. But even if you don't live up to the promises that we're making today, I will be torn into pieces. I will bless you no matter what. Even if it means that my immortality becomes mortal. Even if, I will bless you even if it means that I am torn to pieces and my glory is covered in darkness. If I don't live up to the covenant and if I don't, and if I don't fulfill the promises that I made to you today, you know, I will be the one that is torn into pieces. And he was. Because centuries later, Jesus Christ was literally torn into pieces. Right? He was beaten up. He was humiliated. He was nailed to a cross. He was speared on his side. And he died hanging on a tree. And what was Jesus doing? He was taking on the covenant to curse. Paul says in Galatians 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is how God can both be just and justifier for those who are sinful and guilty. This is how he can, he can still be holy and yet still love sinners like us. This is the ultimate blend of law and love. Are the, are the blessings of God conditional or are they unconditional? Yes. Right? In Christ Jesus, it's a yes. Because on the cross, Jesus absolutely fulfilled the conditions of the law. He lived a perfect life. We talked about that a few sermons ago. God, Jesus lived a perfect life. He was obedient, even unto death, so that we could, we could love, He could love us unconditionally, that He could, that we can be with Him, we can experience the blessings that come from this covenant. He lived this perfect life, but He also sacrificed and He, he died on the cross and He took on the punishment and the curse of the covenant, which was meant for us. Because God walked through the pieces and did not have Abraham walk through the pieces. So we're saved and we have His blessing and it's available for us right now. And that's the promise of God. When God makes this covenant with people, with, with, with Abraham, it extends unto us. He said, I will bless you. And if I don't bless you, may I be torn into pieces. But even if you even if you don't live up to the to the covenant, which none of us can, you know, none of us can live up to the covenant of God. Even if you don't live up to the covenant, I will be torn into pieces. I will bless you no matter what. Jesus fulfilled the covenant conditions of the covenant so that we can be accepted unconditionally. And this is the center and the heart of the Bible. This is the covenant theology. This is covenantal love. This is the new covenant that God makes with us, and it's in Jesus. Jesus is the new covenant. 
and our relationship with Him is in covenant. And this is the promise that the author of Hebrews is talking about. I'll read it again. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of our soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is the anchor of our soul. And through Him, we enter into this covenantal relationship with God. We enter into the Holy of Holies. You know, back then, the only person that can go into the Holy of Holies was a, was a high priest. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, the veil was torn. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our Amen to God for His glory. All our promises of God are a yes and Amen in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of His promise. And this promise goes back to Abraham. And we are the sons of Abraham. And some Christians believe that God's promises are just about heaven. Right? Like, oh yeah, I know about God's promises. It means that I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to live in eternity with Him. And I'm going to, you know, like, it's gonna, I'm going to be happy all the time. Yes, there is heaven. There's eternal life is that is what we look forward to. But the promises of God are for yet, for right now. God's promises are for, for our lives, for, for the people of God are for right now. It says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and I will, and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you in Christ Jesus. We are heirs of the Abrahamic blessing. And in Christ Jesus, we inherit God's promises. We are blessed to be a blessing. Do you know that your existence on this earth is to be a blessing to the world? According to, in Christ Jesus, your life, right? What did you do today? You woke up, you ate some breakfast, had some lunch, took the subway here, whatever you did, right? Your life that you're living right now is to be a blessing unto the world. You're blessed to be a blessing. All people on earth will be blessed through you. Right? That's, that, that is for right now. Right? As we follow Jesus Christ, as we live our lives for Him, right, our lives become a blessing unto the world. We are heirs of the Abrahamic blessing. And in Christ Jesus, we inherit God's promises. We are blessed to be a blessing. So what do we do in light of all this, right? What does the writer of Hebrew tells us, right? He tells us, he tells us to hold fast to Jesus. 
Because in Him, all the promises of God are yes and amen. In Christ Jesus, the God of the universe is on our side. He is for us. He is for you. And God says, you know, I'm all in on you. I'm all in. Chanel, I'm all in on you. That's what God's saying. You know, when God, that covenant that extends to us, it's like, it's like, AJ, God's not up in heaven. Like, I'm going to see what AJ does. And if he does some good things, if he acts right to shine, if he doesn't yell at Logan, right? And if he, like, you know, takes more responsibility with Lincoln, I don't know, right? I'm just kidding. But he's like, I, I, I'm going I'm to try, I'm going to think about blessing him. No, God told you in Christ Jesus, he's like, I'm all in on you, AJ. I am completely and utterly all in on you. This is my covenant to you. You, I'm gonna bless you even if you like, you know, like mess up. I'm gonna bless you even, even if, you know, like, like you, you know, whatever you do out there, you, whatever failures that you have in my life, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna be all for you because you're in Christ Jesus. This is what the covenant of God talks about. And, and then God has this, the expectation is like, but I want you to be all in. On me, I want you to be completely sold out on me as well. Like, like I want you to, to, to feel about me as I feel about you. But even if you don't feel that way about you, I'm going to still bless you. Right? I'm going to take the curse on myself. The curse of you breaking the covenant, I'm, I'm going I'm to deal with that. That's, that's the amazing, that's the amazing, mind-blowing thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it, they say it's the scandal of, scandalous grace. That's the amazing thing. Is that, you know, like, there's that question, it's like, oh, is God's love conditional or is it unconditional? It's both! It's conditional in that we have to live up to the things of God, like God's holy. You guys don't understand God's holiness. It, even if we live the, the best life that we can live for a whole year, right? We don't say any bad things. We don't try our best to have just the, the most pleasant of thoughts, right? We treat our friends perfectly. We like treat our bosses perfectly. We say yes and everything. We, you know, like people ask us, will you help me move? You're like, oh yes, of course, right? And we try to live a life for a perfect life for a year. Still, there's still just like, like that righteousness to God is like filthy rags. Right? There's no way for us to live up to the things of God. There's no way for us to live up to this covenant that we are in with God. But God says, you know what? I'm, I'm going to fulfill the covenant. And even if you mess up, right, I'm taking the curse upon myself. And that's what Jesus did. So in Christ Jesus, we have this amazing promise. We are people of promise. Do you guys understand that? Do you guys, does that, does that, does that affect that part of our heart and, and how we re- respond to God? God's not dealing with us in the way that we think God deals with us, right? Like, ah, oh, can't believe he did that, AJ. Or I keep I want to stop picking on AJ. I can't believe he did that, Melvin, right? Can't like, oh, I can't even look at you right now. God's not like that. God's like, oh, Melvin, I love you. I'm all in on you. I'm all in. And you're give my man, right? You, 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 we are, we are, we are homies. Right? We're, we're like, I am your friend. I'm all in, right? In this relationship, right? I'm gonna give everything that you need for you to fulfill your the fullest of destiny that you can fulfill on this earth, which is my will for your life. That's how God sees us. 
That's the covenantal promise of God. And so we cling to that. The, the writer of Hebrews is like, cling to that, cling to Jesus in this way. As, as the anchor of our soul. As the hope that is set before us, right? And it's this amazing promise that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That, that we will be a blessing. That we will bless those who bless us. That He will bless those who bless us and curse those who curse us. That all of the people on earth will be blessed through us. Brothers and sisters, let us be people of promise. Let us draw near to Jesus. Let us hold fast to this hope of Jesus Christ, the promise that He gives us. Let us make Jesus the sure and steadfast anchor of our soul because Jesus, through His perfect life, fulfilled the covenant of God and brought us the blessing, but He also took the curse upon Himself and cleansed us of our unrighteousness. And He did this so that we can have a relationship with Him. So that God could be in a covenantal relationship with us. Because God's like, hey, I want to be in a relationship with you. And you know what? Our future is all about covenant. Because there's a marriage that's happening. When Jesus comes back, He's coming to marry His bride. And we are the bride of we are the bride of Christ. He is our bridegroom. And He wants us to be in this covenantal relationship. Covenantal relationships are not about, like, are not so like, you know, like, we, we are so ingrained to think just regular, like, contractual way of looking at things that we can't fully grasp and understand what covenant means to God and to us. We think that if we do something wrong, that God will cut His relationship with us. And in essence, that's the way it should be. But in Christ Jesus, I know all of you guys cannot live up to this, so I'm going to take the sin, I'm going to take the punishment, and I'm going to take the curse upon myself so that we can have a relationship and that's what God promises us. And that's the promise that we are waiting for. That's the promise that we will inherit as children of God and as people of God. Let's all stand up and we'll close in prayer.